presidential candidates and been like so uh do you still stand by that vote because well, <laughs> i want to know Warren why doesn't want us to have doesn't want sex workers to be able to have bank accounts yeah so like i don't really <laughs> like whenever i see people mm-hmm. talking about i have just muted her ass i was like i'm yeah. done like yeah. you know if you're taking away the fundamental right for my friends to be able to yeah. make any money oh yeah like Holy. and if you know Same every with, once in a I while looking up, um beto o'rourke because mm-hmm. i kind of really like him because i mean who's able to turn yeah. Texas blue. Like, <laughs> if you can do that, I, I have some faith in you. But That's fair. He also voted for Sesta Fasta. Oh, I'm sure he did. They all do, you know, like, because... No- well, and then I tried to look up uh, Pete Buttigieg, or however you say it. However you say that name. And he literally doesn't list any of the issues on his website. Like, yeah. It's just, he's just like, I'm here and I'm gay. I'm like, well, that's and not And everybody's enough. like, woo! Gay. That's, that's not like, enough, honey. <laughs> like, I've met enough problematic white gay men <laughs> in my life to know that that would be yeah. just as bad as voting a conservative, man, right? unfortunately. Right? Like, that sucks, but, yeah. like, the inclusivity of it, especially if they're able to pass oh, yeah. for, you know, years as being hetero, like, yeah. they can slip in and out of that world way easier than so oh, yeah, many. Fully. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. <laughs> hey, everyone. <laughs> this is Yeah But the Podcast. My name's Vivian Gabor, and I'm here with Sydney Devereaux. Hello, hello. The golden glamazon herself. One of my favorite people on the planet. Oh, yay. Thank you. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you today? I'm good. I just took a nice little, like, 20-minute walk through Flatbush. and That's the best way. You yeah. can see all the wig stores and all of the hoe stores. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of the Jehovah's Witnesses churches and Seventh-day Adventists Oh, my God. Churches. There's so much Christ. <laughs> there's so much Christ in my neighborhood. <laughs> it's unreal. But this is, like, the nice part. It, Brooklyn. It's a very nice part. Yeah, I would say it's a nicer part. Like, if you were to look like real estate, people would say it's Ditmas Park and not Flatbush. And Fair. it's just because they want to charge yep. more money. But this is Flatbush. Yep. For sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm literally just like 10 blocks away. And yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> That's the beauty of Brooklyn, though. Uh-huh, for sure. It is. The beauty of New York in general. Yeah. I've been noticing that a lot. Walk a block, a different language. Yeah. Different culture. Completely different restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Right? <laughs> so much food. Um, so I got I'm getting to sit down with Sydney today and we're talking about some burlesque stuff mm-hmm. and some just being badassery and oh dear that kind of stuff <laughs> so um i'm curious just in general like how did you get into burlesque and like because we met back in seattle yes i used to live in seattle i'm i'm born raised baby from seattle yes. and i've been in new york for five years now what part of seattle did you grow up in? um i grew up initially up in i was like born and living in montlake terrace and then between my parents yes. i moved like 20 times um, really settling in Capitol Hill okay. for my 
middle school, teenage, oh, wow. and then college years. Dang. Yeah, so I was on 23rd and Madison. Like, <laughs> I was just right, you <laughs> like know, right kitty corner from that shitty Philadelphia sub place, whatever that, <laughs> like, Philly fever, <laughs> the place that looked like death. Um, yeah, so I lived there That's until uh, 2014 when I moved. Um, so I've always been, you know, Capitol Hill adjacent as yeah. well. Like, um, I was also living, not White Center. Now I can't even remember. Beacon Hill as well. Yeah, yeah. So like That's where, like, everyone's trying to move now. Yeah, very Capitol Seattle Hill is experience. all Amazon. And now everyone's, like, Beacon Hill and It's crazy. Pioneer Square again. Yeah, when we sold our house, um, we... We sold it, and then you know, a couple years later, we ended up looking it up mm-hmm. to see how much it was, and it went up two hundred fifty thousand dollars because like all the tech bros, like so we were God. a little like, man, we totally <laughs> got out at the bad time, but also like we kind of got out at a good time because there was just nothing but tech around. Like mm-hmm. it really felt like the culture was dying, and oh yeah, every time I go back home, I'm just like, what is there to do here? There's nothing left anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I grew up in Linwood. Okay, yeah, I'm very familiar with Linwood, yeah. Linwood Mall. <laughs> yep. And it's I worked Cineplex. at Alderman Mall for so long. Yes. So long. Yes. Yeah, so we Luckily, have I didn't have to go to Linwood High School, but... <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, but we had a very similar, mm-hmm. like, Seattle experience, especially then I went, living up I there. I went to the eastern side of the state, to Spokane, and then Missoula for college, and then I came back, and when I came back, I moved to Capitol Hill. Spokompton. I had a car blow up there once. Oh, God. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds typical. <laughs> it's set on fire right outside Spokane um, at Ritzville. Ooh. My whole engine yes, caught on Ritzville. fire. Yes, Ritzville. Ritzville, where you don't stop at Zips because you will get something in your drink that you weren't expecting. <laughs> I was picked up on the side of the uh, side of the road by um, all of these super evangelical Christians oh in a van with their children to get me to the, like, off the off the interstate um, diner or whatever to drop me off, you know, just white as hell. Yep. They were just white as hell. <laughs> and all I had in my car, cause I had emptied it out cause my car was on fire, mm-hmm. um, was nothing but African American literature <laughs> for college. Yes. And I was like, you know, holding all these books and they're like, well, you can come stay with us for the night. And they were handing me pamphlets. And I was like, you just leave me at the diner. Get out. Get out. <laughs> You know, they pull up to the diner and there's a whole bunch of trucks that look, you know, they have the shotgun racks on the back uh-huh. and we walked in and it was just like, you know, yeah. record scars. Yeah. <laughs> it was such an experience. I was in there for four hours with oh, all these God. people staring at me. It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. That's so scary. Yeah. yeah I, I spent four years in Spokane and then three years in Missoula, Montana. Okay. And then I moved back to Seattle and moved to Capitol Hill. All right. And My husband's just from Montana, so okay, I'm nice. familiar with yep. that place as it's, well. It's beautiful. I would never live there again. shit there. Yeah. My husband likes to say the only things that you can do in Montana is drink, fuck, and fight. Yes. Oh, yeah. And that is correct. Yeah. There's yeah. literally nothing else. <laughs> you can get lost in the woods. I've done that a few times. There yeah. was a time that I was, there's a bar outside of Missoula in Lolo Pass called the Lumberjack. Okay. Um, and it's like way out there. Like it takes like an hour outside of Missoula into yeah. the pass, and then you pull off onto like a dirt road and drive into the woods for like twenty minutes. And Everything's then you're there. a dirt road in Montana. Uh-huh. But we <laughs> took the wrong dirt road and started driving, and my friend and I were like, "This is deliverance. Like we're mm. not gonna survive." You know, this. you're just gonna run into some dude <laughs> that has an underground bunker and has uh-huh. been under there for thirty years. You know, somebody's Uncle Jack. They haven't uh-huh. seen him, and all he has is like, yeah. And then it would be Jimmy <laughs> Schmidt all over again. <laughs> <laughs> you don't 
don't want that. No. Um, but to go back yeah. to your question, because yeah. you were asking yes, me. Yes, yes, yes. We just like totally went on a tangent. Um, so I started performing burlesque in 2005. That seems right. Yeah, 2005. Damn. But prior to that, um, I was a suicide girl. So, like, by the time when I was 18, I already knew that I wanted to be a naked lady on the Internet. Yes. Like, I was just like, who doesn't, you know, I was like trying to steal IDs and see how many people <laughs> I could show my kids to online. You know, it was my space culture, this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was a suicide girl that was really active online in terms of like, you know, all those uh, regional groups and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. You know, there was God, like, I just forgot about MySpace. Right? You know, there was like, there was a whole different culture in uh-huh. which, like, you would have these people that all live. There was like SG Seattle, and we would all meet up and we'd go play pool or we'd go bowling. Nice. Yeah. And one of the outings was a burlesque show. Nice. And so we went, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. because it was just such a, it was everything that I loved because I was, I'm a trained jazz singer. Um, I was singing jazz. Yeah. So what? Uh, all the things. I was you a trained, do everything. trained flute player. <laughs> yes. I was a competitive flute player. I went to camp and everything. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I found that, you know, burlesque was this mix of, you know, there was a lot of jazz music at that time, like back in, it wasn't the wild, wild west of burlesque because that had happened kind of in the 90s. But this yeah. was like kind of the second emergence mm-hmm. um, when Dita started getting big again. Yeah. Um, feature dancing was still happening. So like there was burlesque appearing in feature clubs, things like that. Okay. Um, but I just found that like here's this big band, all this stuff that I really love to sing. And here are all these women in these beautiful costumes hanging off their clothes down to like really beautiful lingerie. And I'm already a naked lady. So mm-hmm. it was just kind of <laughs> it kind of just like. Tetris itself into something that I really wanted to do. Um, so I just went up to the producer and I was like, how can I help? Yeah. You know, I did it the right way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, I'm going to get on stage. Um, I was just like, how can I, how can I be a part of this? You know, I'm not a stage performer by any means, but I want to be able to help. So she um, allowed me to be a kitten. Yeah. It was a, a way to get in. yeah, it was, um, and, you know, stage hand and all that stuff, a go-go dancer, um, raffle girl, you know, all of that <laughs> stuff. And it was at a, it was at the old Phoenix underground. Okay. Not I've the one that it. burned down, but the second <laughs> one or not burned down. It was ruined in the, um, in the earthquake, I think, mm. but it was the second one in pioneer square. 2000, so. 2001 earthquake. Something like that. And then oh it God. came back a yeah. yeah, long time ago. It was a little goth club, <laughs> yeah. but it I was, was amazing. In middle school when the earthquake happened. Um, yeah, high exactly. School I, was high school. <laughs> I was in high school. I was in high school. I remember that earthquake too, because mm-hmm. I was in my cheerleading uniform in sewing class. Oh my God. I was in pioneer square under the, um, you were in Pioneer Square. It's a dangerous place to what, be in an earthquake. Is it the the Rainier Tower, the one that looks like a like it got eaten partially? Yeah, and you yeah. you can go up the elevator mm-hmm. for the view or whatever. Yeah, we were sitting there and just everything started bouncing and shaking, and we we're like, "What's happening?" Yeah, that was That's a crazy fun. earthquake. Yeah. It was kind of cool to be a part of because it yeah. just kind of rolled. But yeah. not that earthquakes are cool or anything. They are though. Yeah, <laughs> I, I used to be obsessed with earthquakes. I mean, yeah, they're, they're pretty <laughs> fucking cool. They are. They really are. But yeah, so I uh, did that for a long time um, with a troupe called Burning Hearts. Okay. Um, so you also know yeah. Inga Angino. Yes. 
And so, yeah, she is amazing. So we started together as well. So like there was a whole bunch of OG burlesque. She just won. Burlesque Hall of Fame, Queen of Burlesque in 2018. Yes. So she'll be doing her step down this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I was actually just with her in Vegas uh, this last weekend for Viva Las Vegas. Yeah. We did the big showcase there in the arena. There was like 3,000 people. It was amazing. It was so fun. That's incredible. I'm trying to get to Vegas right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Vegas is a situation but <laughs> i was just really glad it has some fun stuff yeah it does it does you just kind of have to go off path like if you i've been mm. going to vegas for so long that at this point like we just rent a car and do all of the yeah, other I things bet. so like we were at viva you know i did a fashion show in the show but otherwise like we drove, drove to hoover dam we went to yeah. red rock like we went to you know all yeah. of these there's the cinnabon place like this <gasps> place that makes vegan cinnamon rolls and it was the most decadent shit I've ever had in my life oh like my God. I had it you know it was like 11 p.m. we were like the last people in we ate it and I was like I have to go to bed <laughs> like I just went straight into hypoglycemia yeah shock. that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> but it was delicious and they have like I should show, I think I have a picture of the menu. It's like all of these different options, you know, it's Mm. like pick this frosting. You can pick extra frosting for this much. And then there's all these different toppings and like the presentation. Why is that not a thing everywhere in the U.S.? I don't know, but I think think because we'd just be walking around in a sugar glaze. Everybody (laughs) looking like they've just done a whole bunch of drugs. I mean, fair. Yeah. I mean, that's what sugar is. It's a beautiful drug. So it's just like being in Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. Oh my God. But yeah, so and Seattle was a good place to start too because it has a huge burlesque scene. Well, yeah, I mean it does now. And back when I had started, it kind of did. But what we were really lucky to have was a handful of OG burlesque queens that Mm. we had access to that were doing like feature dancing and peep shows and things like that in like the '90s. So we had Miss Indigo Blue. And we had Paula the Swedish Housewife. Mm-hmm. We had Tamar- uh, Tamara the Trapeze Lady. Ooh, I don't know her. She's amazing. She does aerial work, but she was also um, a sex worker back in the day doing peep shows. Oh, wow. Um, back I when the Lusty Lady was happening. Show. Yeah, I know. They're, so they're an old, dying thing. Yeah. But So we had, these, we had access to these women that had been doing different forms of burlesque and stripping since the 90s and some of them even sooner that mm-hmm. also had access to all of these other legends of burlesque. Yeah. So like the history was really strong there and they were really wonderful about talking about like, oh, well, you know, I learned this from Liz Renee or I learned this from Tempest Storm or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you should look up Blaze or, you know, who yeah. whoever these different legends and icons were. So when I fell in love with burlesque, I just went head in. Yeah. It wasn't it's not like how it is now where there was a ton of YouTube videos or anything like that. It wasn't like that. And in fact, YouTube, I don't think even started until I think it was 2006, 2007. Yeah. It was like right after I had started. So everything was like a web search for a VHS tape that I could find that cost like $27. And then you hope that it has burlesque on it. Yeah. So now I actually have this really amazing, like collection of mm. VHS tapes. That's amazing. Yeah, and like a whole bunch of books. I just bought everything I could. Every yeah. history book that had burlesque queens in it. You know, photos, pin up, anything around that period of time. Like mm-hmm. I went into trying to find like all of the different musicians that came from burlesque backgrounds and yeah. all of that. So like I just went from an academic standpoint. Yeah. You know, I thought that was really important and yeah, interesting. Totally. 
And so that just kind of tumbled me in deeper, especially with like learning about different legends like Miss Tony Elling, who was given her name from Duke Ellington, who's like, wow. one of, you know, one of the most famous yeah. jazz musicians alive and hearing her stories and things mm -hmm. like that was really cool, too. So it's just a, it was different. Like mm -hmm. back then you got to like nerd out in a different way. Yeah. Whereas now I feel like um, burlesque is so, there's so much of it. Um, it's, it's still very much like the wild, wild west in terms of like business, <laughs> how people do business. Yeah. Um, you know, the pay standard is still entirely too low. Mm -hmm. It hasn't changed since I started. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's a whole bunch of things that are around like why it's harder to get into it now. There's just so many performers and there's so many people willing to do it for no money that it just makes it a weird accessibility. Sounds like drag. Yeah. Well, and it's also an accessibility yeah. issue, right? Because like you can do, anybody can do burlesque, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're good at it or not is a whole other thing. Yeah. But you know, in terms of making a really beautiful costume, you're looking at at least a thousand dollars. You know, yeah. if you want to do it kind of bare bones, not super sparkly, but still have it be made really well, that's like five hundred, mm -hmm. right? So let's say your starting point is five hundred dollars. If you're a person who's talented but doesn't have shit for money, yep. you're right. <laughs> yeah. You're you're shit out of luck, if yeah. you, especially if you're not crafty. If you can't sew to save your life, yeah. if a glue gun is your best friend, you're kind of fucked. Yeah. So. You know, it's or if you're not in a city like New York or Seattle where you have access to certain things a little bit more easily. Yeah. Or and LA. And yeah. Seattle definitely had that. I think, I mean, New York here, and you know this, like the fabric stores are unreal. Oh, yeah. You just go to the garment district, and if one fabric store doesn't have something, you just walk two doors down, and there's another <laughs> exactly. store that has it. And you can haggle here, which mm -hmm. is, you know, a whole thing, too. And if you can create a, you know, relationship with your rhinestone mm -hmm. guy, he might cut you a deal, which yep. is very much like a drug deal, you know? <laughs> Um, so <laughs> it's, it's really like, it's beautiful that you have access here, but also the cost of living is so supremely high in New York mm -hmm. that you have, you know, there's less performers getting to do it for a living. Yep. I mean, there's not a lot of performers that are doing it for a living in general because mm -hmm. of the cost yeah. is so high and the pay is so low and so few people, um, feel comfortable negotiating and holding out and, mm -hmm. you know, doing the contract thing yeah. and forming the LLC. Well, because it, you have that, that thing in the back of your mind that's like, if I hold out for too long, then someone else who's willing to do it for less is going to come in and take the gig instead. Exactly. So then you start undercutting yourself. Which is a problem because, you know, ultimately it keeps, it, it keeps the standard of pay low mm -hmm. across the board. And people that should, you know, be getting bigger and better gigs don't even, they're not even seen because mm -hmm. this remains kind of a lowbrow art. Yeah. And it's a beautiful art. And one of the things that I've always really wanted with burlesque is to see more Ditas. Mm -hmm. Like not necessarily Dita, but like, yeah. like more performers that perform at a production level yes. of Dita that have all these different types of shows because mm -hmm. there's this very, you know, classic burlesque, but I want, you know, I want to see a rock and roll show. I want to see, you know, with live music, yeah. I want to see like a huge queer review. I want to see like all of these mm -hmm. things. And we haven't gotten to that point yet yeah. because so few people are willing to like really do the hard work and like mm -hmm. build the nest egg, especially if they're a producer. Right. Yep. Like you have to save up a few thousand dollars to put yeah. on a show. Oh yeah, fully. <laughs> but, yeah. But people don't want to do it. They want to, I want it now is yeah. what they, you know, and then they cut corners. Yep. And, and then, then the show are, doesn't do as well because you've cut those corners. Exactly. And then we just remain in the same sandwich that we've always been, which is called a shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs>
Not entirely. I mean, not entirely. I, I love my job, but the, you know, yeah. I, I definitely have been talking about pay since mm-hmm. really for over. Well, it's a big thing. Now. It's a big thing right now, even in the drag community, talking about pay. Like there's yeah. there are rumblings about people wanting a drag union too, just because like finding some way to standardize things. Yeah. Because it is such a commodity now. Yeah. Um, and well, I there think was a burlesque was the union way, yeah. back in the day. It was called the yep. League of Exotic Dancers. Yes. Um, I believe it was uh, that would be the best created by... Book. I know, right? <laughs> right? It was uh, Jenny Lee, and I think Dixie Evans was a part of it, but not the creator of it. I'm pretty sure it was Jenny Lee who also created the Burlesque Hall of Fame or Miss okay. Exotic World. Okay. Um, And there was a whole thing. I don't know exactly when it died. Like, I remember reading about it you know long mm-hmm. ago like really with an interest of like how can we organize yeah especially since i was really trying to beat that drum for a while mm-hmm. especially when i first started producing i was just like why aren't things being run in a more produ- professional way yeah. i don't understand why there isn't you know a standardized way of communicating with people you know uh, especially like in the myspace days which is exactly like the facebook days now you know you have some producers will message you on Facebook Messenger. So if you're not on Facebook or you've been banned or you've been blocked or you've been, you know, your shit doesn't work for yep. 30 days, you're missing things. Yeah. You know, and so few of them will actually do everything on email yeah. and standardize with like, you know, yeah. bullet points of this is what we're asking from you and this is when you're due here and this mm-hmm. is the tech form to it's fill out. It's almost like it'd be nice if we had our, like, the drag or burlesque communities had something like Playbill where it's just like everything is listed and that had that all of that information. Yeah, but it won't but ever happen. No, because it's well, hard to maintain that and it's expensive. And Well, it's not just that. It's also our own inherent sense of worth, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we're – it depends on, at least for me and in my, my opinion, being, you know, being around this for 14 years is there are performers who – Every there's so many valid ways to be a performer, right? Like mm-hmm. for so many reasons why we come into performing, but there are a smaller subsection of people that see it as a business and also really love what they do mm-hmm. simultaneously and are really trying to do that in a business like way. Yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of people who, you know, maybe they have another job or they have kids or all these things. Mm-hmm. So this is very much like, like I don't want to, I don't want to say a hobby because that's yeah. not quite right. And it's, it's a passion. Yeah. It's a passion for them. Cause I don't like the word hobbyist. It, it seems to like place them at a level that isn't quite as serious or yeah, whatever, yeah. but no, it's a passion. Yeah. So it's like their, their, um, their feelings around like this should be fun and fun only or fun and fun first instead mm-hmm. of making sure that they have the contract and the right pay and making sure that yeah. they're actually making a net profit mm-hmm. isn't as important to them. Yeah. It's just their levels of needs and yeah. importance are, is different, but it, it creates this huge wide bubble <laughs> for yeah. everything to exist. So you have producers who aren't even producing as their job. They do it because they just want to put on a show. Yep. So they're not necessarily doing it in the most productive yeah. or professional way. And the show still happens, but you know, for me as someone who's been doing this for this long, I'm just like, can you please just tell like, me what's happening? Just like, you yeah. know, streamline it. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a priority for me as a producer. Since I started, I started producing um, pink door back in like, I want to say it was 2010. Okay. 
Yeah, that that's was a long time. Yeah, and, and I had it's it still for, going. Right? Yeah, I had it for four years. Um, I produced it through my move here, so I produced okay. it remotely, and then I gave it to Shanghai Pearl, who's yes. been running it beautifully. Yeah, since like she was my only choice for that because I was yeah. just like she, she very much like in, embodied like the aesthetics of this of the pink mm-hmm. door. Um, she's weird. She's intelligent. She's organized. You know, all of these yeah. really beautiful things that the pink door needed. Yeah. And so she was just such a good choice for that. But, you know, when I started producing there, it had been um, passed down from Swedish housewife and also Hottie McNaughty, who is the okay. one that gave it to me. Um, she's no longer performing, I don't think. But, you know, they're, they had slowly kind of streamlined their process through time mm-hmm. and like had been passed on to me. Yeah. And then I was like, well, actually I want to make this even more streamlined. So mm-hmm. I like worked on making like booking forms and, yeah. you know, standardized emails that go out asking people to fill out the booking form mm-hmm. and how I, you know, do all of that. And it, it cut down on the error, Yep. which is all I want is yeah. like, I just want it to cut down well, on the error. What I noticed when I did your show because um, I did it back in February. Yeah, you did. God, that uh, was a long time ago. House of Devereaux, Sin on Heels. I did. Was that the first one? That was the first one. It was amazing. Yay. But that's why, like, when we were backstage and you were like, does anyone need anything? We were all just like, <laughs> no. Yeah. Like, we're great. Well, I think, like, <laughs> it it's, was, it's important to, yeah. know, to know what performers might possibly need. Mm-hmm. And, you know... M- my doing this for as long as I have has allowed me to experience every single thing that a person could need backstage yeah. or any single accident or, you know, situation. So I feel like at this point I'm just kind of anticipating things mm-hmm. and I try to make sure that every piece of information is super clear before I even get yeah. there. So it's just like you read the email, you know exactly yeah. where and when you need to be. You know what you need to bring with you. You mm-hmm. know how much light there is in the back. You know yep. you know how the <laughs> stage works. Like all of these things. Yeah, I would, it was like it was honestly the most well put together show I've ever been a part of, Hello. which was so nice. Oh, thank you. Um, and it's something that I aspire to in my shows, and I've actually gotten some kickback from that because like expecting people to be at a certain place at a certain time, especially with like the idea of mm-hmm. it's drag time. We kind of show <laughs> up. I'm like, no, there's a show. Yeah. And then things happen after the show. Yeah. I mean, but I would say it takes time. So when I yep. had went with pink door, it took about a year mm-hmm. for me to finally get people to understand that I meant what I meant. I mm-hmm. said what I said. And yeah. I said, you need to be there at 10. It does not mean 10 30, yep. you know? So there was a lot of, taking people off my list that I would yeah. put them for for a I while. I got a really bad reputation in Seattle because people would show up halfway through the show and be like, I'm ready for my number. And I'd be like, no, you're not performing tonight. Right. And it, you would and think. Because you can't. You can't do You can't that. do that to a producer. You would, yeah. You, <laughs> like, would, you would think. You would think that that would be like such an easy and obvious thing for people to understand. But I really found that like so many artists live in this different world Mm -hmm. and some of them are organized and some of them i think they live in a different dimension and they pop into ours when they decide that they're ready yeah and it makes me it it frustrates me it makes me sad because there are these really phenomenal performers that i'm like oh my god i love you on stage I cannot even have you backstage because you know yeah. either they're like an exploder or they're an emotional yep. mess backstage yeah. before. Like I book for backstage peace mm-hmm. and harmony. So on stage awesomeness can happen. Yeah. So everything is just 
smooth. Yeah. And so I book these two, you know, and I make sure that they're responding to emails on time and, you know, mm-hmm. being a good communicator because that's when I first know I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe they're not the person for me, you know, yep. which is fine. Not for everybody yeah. and not everybody's for me. Yeah. But yeah, th- so <laughs> it just, there are people that I would love, 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 love to book. Except yeah, I just like for my own personal mental safety and, yep. yeah, and yeah. sanity trying to make everything run. I absolutely can't have them. Yeah. And I mean, that's the only reason why they're not getting booked, you yep. know, which is the other well, thing. I mean, that's just, the whole idea of professionalism, which I think is just such a lacking art anymore. Mm-hmm. People don't realize that all of that does matter. And the, what happens before the show fully matters just as much as the show itself. Yes. But I mean, that's and like, what you do on social media matters and what you do, like, yeah. cause you're not going to book someone that's problematic and you're not going to book someone that's like screaming at people on Facebook or yeah. only posting cat memes. <laughs> like yeah. I love a cat meme, but if your whole page is, a, you know, cat memes yeah. and complaining and then, Maybe you have one, like, I'm going to be at this show, but you don't plug it a couple times. Mm -hmm. There's no financial reason for me to book you in my show because your fans don't know that you're going to be somewhere. And I'm booking you, so not only for you to rock my stage and for me to be thrilled that you're there, which is, like, not even the whole thing. I want Mm -hmm. my audience to love you. And I want my audience and your fans to have a baby together. Yep. You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah, absolutely. Bring people into the mix. Like, you know, if it's just a whole bunch of people that are fans of me coming to the show that I produce and I introduce them to all these amazing performers, that's great. But it's not the same. But you're not going to grow an audience like that. Right. And you're not going to grow, you know, burlesque or drag culture that way. That's not how that works. Like everybody. That's just fan culture. Right. Yeah. And you need, you know, every, I think every performer needs to, to realize how important it is to cultivate their fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't need to be, you know, if you're traveling nationally or internationally, um, you know, certainly you want to have a broader scope of yeah. like how you're putting your stuff out there perhaps, mm-hmm. or, you know, all of and that. the issues that you talk about and like things that you're aware of yeah. online. But you also... But you have to really focus on getting those people's butts in seats. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't want them to just, you know, heart your picture, or, you know, retweet. Yeah. You want yeah. them to show up, come to your show, and love you. So yeah. it's just as important to be, you know, have your online persona very much matching your off, yeah. you know, on, on stage, online. Yeah. They're all the same thing. It's all yeah. of this performance art of things. So if you're a person that's very into social justice or you're very political or you have a whole bunch of you know different things that you want to talk about on your platform you should be doing that in Mm -hmm. a way that invites your fans to get to know you yeah instead of just like posting that's been a learning experience for me yeah which i'm sure you've watched (laughs) yeah but i think it's really beautiful to watch that happen because there are people that have no interest in that happening they they want to live their very private life online. Like mm, there's a very yeah. interesting blurred line that exists yep. there that we all have to negotiate consistently. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean um, that you're always successful. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, it's like for a while, um, you know, I, I rarely share things about my marriage. I do mm-hmm. talk about relationships and yeah. like sometimes about like dating or sexuality Yeah. because I identify as bisexual. So like, but I don't need to talk about my husband. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it's not necessarily a really important thing to talk about, especially when so much of my fan base are 
dudes yeah and lesbians mm-hmm. they don't need to know about my fucking husband yeah. you know well especially i found in our specific art forms a whole lot of it is sexual like sexual based yes and sometimes bringing in your personal life can affect your persona that you're creating then people want to get into your business yeah in a way that is exactly. very separate from supporting you as an artist yeah. they want to know all of these minutiae things and like if i'm quite honest if somebody wants to know what size my tits are they're gonna have to pay me money yeah you know and if somebody wants to talk to me about like the effects of my coming out as bi when I was a teenager and like my experience, I'm so down to talk about that because yeah. I think that's important, especially for a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. who don't understand how bisexuality works. Yeah. And I'm only one of the Which facets. One of those yeah. <laughs> I'm merely one of the <laughs> one of the facets in bisexuality. So like I think that that experience is really important. Mm-hmm. But, like, if I talk about, like, oh, well, then, you know, Hina got into an argument about yada, yada. I'm like, no, that doesn't need to that's be online. unnecessary, yeah. You can talk about your challenges and your triumphs. I think that's mm-hmm. important. People can find empathy and compassion yeah. and, you know, empowerment through those things. But it's just that very thin mm-hmm. line as you yeah. go through it. And it's constantly changing and shifting as, like, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are all yeah. being inundated by... You know, how much can you share? <laughs> what can you show? <laughs> how can you ask for help? How can yeah. you ask for help? You know, like all of Whether these Whether or not things. they're going to understand sarcasm. Oh my gosh. I posted, there was something the other day where, oh, it was someone posted about Troy Sivan and his boyfriend and how they literally look exactly the same. Like, I can't tell them apart. It's creepy. <laughs> and I commented sarcastically, I hate the gays. Because like, <laughs> I'm gay. Right. I was just being funny about it, and it got reported. And I was just like, guys, I guess I need to hashtag sarcasm every time I talk to Lord above. <laughs> well, d- you know, discernment and, and reading comprehension yeah. is like an all-time low Yeah, and when Facebook messaged me, I literally co- sent the message back. It was like, I am a fucking gay drag queen. Like, <laughs> do you really think <laughs> that's what is happening here? Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, and so it keeps yeah. you from getting to tell jokes. Yeah, like, like I, you can't be funny online anymore. No, unless that's completely different from like when certain performers say something that's really terrible and are like, "Well, I can't be funny anymore." Like, no, no, no. This is me actually being funny and just sarcastic. For sure. And you can't do that anymore. Yeah, I had a tweet go viral, and it was, I had to mute it. I have no idea what it's doing anymore. But it was, um, someone was like, "Imagine if there was a show if you're um, like." And auntie was really nosy in your life and solved mysteries. And I was like, imagine not knowing about murder she wrote. <laughs> and then people right? went nuts. They were just like, this is about, you know, you, you're you excluding all these other cultures. We were talking about Indian culture and like all of this. I was like, yo. What the fuck? What the fuck? Like, not only. God damn it. Not, not only everything was, has to be personal. Yeah, exactly. I was like, not only was I not like digging through your profile to see what country you were in or anything like that, yeah. which like now I have to do a background check before I retweet yeah, right? somebody's. It was a cute tweet, and I just wanted people to know about Murder She Wrote because it's one of the best shows of all time, <laughs> yeah. and I got fucking flamed for it. I was like, Angela Lansbury is a goddamn treasure, and now I'm getting yelled yeah. at yeah. by Indian Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, mute that shit, you know, and then having to be fearful in this way about being a person who is 
openly a naked lady, openly yeah. monetizing my nudity, yeah. and being looked at in in this way from a culture that doesn't necessarily understand what I do. Yeah. And I'm like, am I going to get reported and they're going to get my shit ripped down because they're mad? Yeah. I will say that's one thing that I like a lot about Twitter is they've seemingly started to prove themselves like able to understand situations. They don't understand Nazis, though. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Really but you can post so much more on Twitter than you can on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram especially has gotten really bad. Yeah, I don't Although see... I'm still proud that my nude hasn't gotten taken down yet. Excellent. I've posted one. Congratulations. Thank yeah, you. I try to do like... Just a sliver of a nipple to see if somebody... Just see what happens. And then eventually somebody's like, I see a nipple. And I'm like, delete your comment. What are yeah. you doing? Like, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I'm like, why are you trying to ruin the party for everyone? Right. Thank you, Captain Obvious. <laughs> I am aware of what I fucking did. Yeah. I looked at myself. But yeah, they don't... People just really want to spoil your fun. And yeah. Instagram is nothing but an algorithm game that has like absolutely like depleted artists' ability absolutely. to be visible. Oh, yeah. And what, I don't know what the answer and it is was, now. It was, when was it, like three or four years ago when they changed the algorithm and it just all went to pot. Well, it was and terrible. Well, it just changed again, too. So there's a whole bunch of um, sex workers, like a ton of porn stars got ripped off mm -hmm. of, offline, um, off of Instagram. And then right now, um, sex workers, because of uh, FOSTA-SESTA, are being further like squashed in their algorithm so there's like all of these incredible strippers that i follow that i never see like yeah. i have to actually remember their name yeah. and type it in and go see it because yeah. everything because else is... the even the hashtags are being shadow banned oh yeah and... yeah no I, yeah, yeah. hashtags don't do much anymore but they just want to sell me 600 dollar necklaces and <laughs> you know everything is yeah. everything's the fucking same with the the ads and everything and i'm just like can can I breathe? Mm -hmm. I just want to look at some boobs on the internet. And yet, when some stupid straight white guy is like, I'm a fitness person and inspiration. Here's my abs. Here's my butt. We love male like, nipples. Let me show. Yeah. It's just like they leave all of those like basically, oh, yeah, that's that guy's pubes on the top of his dick. Oh, and they're leaving that up, but they're going to take everything queer down. Men get to, well, cis, cis het men mm -hmm. get to be thirst traps all they want mm -hmm. every day they want and it doesn't matter yep and everyone else including you know cis het white blonde chicks that are you know lifting and want to sell their power shakes yeah. are actually getting you yeah. know their algorithms getting fucked up too which i like i have a little bit of shot and fraud about because i'm like finally like yeah finally someone <laughs> finally because this has just been happening for in the beginning it was i was noticing that i wasn't seeing black women on instagram mm. even though i had been following them yeah and it's because they had all been suppressed and like it's just like they just keep coming yeah. for more and more until it's just a whole until bunch of dudes with apex yep yep you know like i'm not i follow so many like just like visual artists yeah. on instagram and i never even see that yeah and i'm like it's literally paint splatters like yeah what's wrong with it yeah no, <laughs> you don't see it it's <clears throat> i don't really even scroll anymore i just find that it i see the same thing yeah. over and over again i'm not seeing the people that i want to i find see. that stories are more interesting to me now yeah like, like the the first like 20 stories now are the people that i really want to see mm -hmm. because those don't get censored as much they still get censored but not right. as much um and so i just kind of watch a bunch of those and go and like post gotcha. so like if you p post yeah, in you your story that you post like because so you can share posts that. and stories now so if you like 
right. sharing your story. Hey, post a new post, then people go and look. Right. But it's so much more work than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, and it, I think it also really depends on, like, how you monetize your content. So, mm-hmm. like, I have a Snapchat that, like, my patrons that pay pay me to see me naked mm-hmm. have access to my Snapchat. So that's where I, like, post my life mm-hmm. stuff. Like, I, you know, post waking up and I post playing with my dogs and going on the subway and, like, eating weird stuff. And there's mm-hmm. my boobs again. And, like, you know, here's a test yep. shot from yada yada or, you know, behind the scenes at a photo shoot or travel or whatever. And so I feel like whenever I put that stuff on Instagram, I'm, like, diminishing the people who have, like, yeah, actually paid for content. And I still, I mean, I'm still struggling every day with this idea that, like, we live in this, you know, very capitalist mm-hmm. society and women's ability to monetize themselves gets diminished and taken away all yeah. the time. And there's so many, there's so many ways that we could monetize, right? Yeah. And they just don't like, allow it. Let, let them play the game. Like, yeah. you created this game and you're forcing us to play it. Yeah. Let us play it. So I'm like, I'm going to charge people for as long as I, Uh you know, especially, I mean, if you want to see my asshole, you should pay for it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if we're not in a thing thing, like, you don't Mm -hmm. get to see that for free, you know, or you haven't paid to come to a show or, you know, anything Mm -hmm. like that. But so when I see, I, I fell into the, you know, when you go into an Instagram hole. So many times. Fetish every shoes, night. man. I love custom fetish shoes. I think they're so beautiful. But invariably, I find you know all of these foot accounts, these women, women's shoes, women's feet accounts. Interesting. That are free, and I'm like, do you know how many dudes named Dave are like in my box saying that yeah. they want to pay for feet photos? Yeah. Like, you have 140,000 yeah. people following you in your shoes. Literally not a picture of your face, mm-hmm. just you, your toes, and your shoes, and n- like no, you no know, sponsorships or anything. No sponsorships. What? And they don't tag the shoes. They, you know, it's just literally a photo. Ooh. And there's, just, they, and they also say no DMs. Like happily married, no DMs. And I'm like, what are you doing? Those are the people that need to <laughs> do the research and realize how much Kylie Jenner is paid for a single Instagram post. Yeah, I know. Like it's just like <laughs> you could be I making know. so much. By doing so little right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, and ultimately, <laughs> you know, I think that I, I would like if we didn't we we didn't monetize anything, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could live for free. Healthcare is free. All you know, all of these things are free. That how people value sex is, you know, done in a different way. Mm-hmm. But until then, when women mm-hmm. are, especially women, are showing their bodies in a way that is fetishized and sexualized by people. You need to be charging. Yeah. Yeah, fully. Like, we're not there yet. Like, in this yeah. free society where everything's cool, and we're not going to be there while I'm alive. Yeah. So until then, charge people to look at your asshole. Yeah. I consider myself a hopeful socialist and a practical capitalist. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, like we're, we're trying. Yeah. We're trying, but, you know, and also until the standard of pay is different. Mm-hmm. Like, when we're at equal parts, like, no one can yell at somebody, you know, selling nudes. Yeah. Like, how dare you? Yeah. I'm sorry. If someone can get paid millions of dollars a year to play a game, someone should be allowed to be paid millions of dollars a year to take off their clothes. Right? And we're not <laughs> even there. We're not even there with yeah. that. Which is, you know, there's few porn stars that make that much money. Yeah. And their burnout rate is so high. Yeah. 
which is just because you can only do porn for so long because it's so looks based, and then when you lose that look, all of a sudden you're not there anymore. Well, and it's not just it's not just that. From what I what I've heard, I went to this weird like it was like a not a documentary, but um, it was a play based on the real life of a porn star, and they were talking mm-hmm. about the the length of time and why you can do things for as long as you can do them. So like there's a hierarchy of porn, right? Mm-hmm. So you start and you, maybe you do solo stuff and then yep. like maybe you do super straight, you know, like soft porn, mm-hmm. you know, maybe then you do a girl, girl scene and yeah. then maybe you do like a DP scene and then you add people and yep. then, you know, and then there's, yeah. A light orgy. And then there's like gang bang and anal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, yeah. Once you get up there, once you get into like multiple dudes, you know, fucking you mm-hmm. in your ass for an hour, there's there's no like where do you go? Yeah. You know, unless you go into fetish stuff, which there's fewer porn stars, yeah. it seems, that are willing to do like Well, that because really edgy a lot stuff. of the, the studios aren't necessarily the best at making from what I've heard most of the studios aren't the best at like making sure the porn stars are comfortable in those scenes and like making sure things are super yeah. safe and like things can get out of control very yeah. easily. And there's some that like, you know, there's some, I don't watch a lot of porn, but the ones that I have watched, the ones that I value very much are the ones that have the interviews. Yes. Free yeah. And yeah. Post. Yep. So, you know, so it's like, okay, I understand that like you absolutely this wanted is, to yeah. be in a room with five dudes for an hour and like, at no point were you uncomfortable. Like, and that's this whole thing was just a fantasy hypothetical. It's yeah. all good. It was for an experience, and now the experience is over. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, so it's... Well, and, like, I don't know much about straight porn, and I've been, I watched a documentary. Most of it's boring. Yeah. We watched a documentary. <laughs> me and my friend, when I was in London, watched a documentary about it, um, and they went to, like, Spain, and were, like, interviewing different people about porn and, like, mm-hmm. watched a porn shoot and directed a porn shoot. Yeah. And they were talking about, like... There were things that weren't even that kinky. Like there was one where they were like walking a girl on a leash outside, mm-hmm. and the all of the the kids, yeah, and all the kids were like, "This is the worst thing ever. Like, why would you ever do this?" I'm like, "You need to watch straight porn. Mm. Like, <laughs> like you don't. I don't think you realize how crazy things get sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you can just watch kink stuff, like yeah. kink.com stuff, or yeah. what used to be the you know film room and kink palace or whatever. Yeah. My first porn experiences were like, you know, some of the softcore stuff that I would like steal from my dad when I would go stay with him yeah. on the weekend. I'd be like, bye, you're going to work. Like hoarding yeah. porn, like making sure I know exactly where it goes back. Like yep. I would like, oh, be, yeah. You know, and like this one was here and this Once one was Once I got there. a phone, I started taking pictures of it and then deleting the picture. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. But like, I remember very specifically realizing that straight porn was boring as hell yeah. when I went to the Eagle. Really? No, with the cuff. I was gonna say it the eagle the has the crazy stuff. The cuff is the not cuff. my favorite. Right, but like sorry, the cuff. You know, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was twenty-one. Mm-hmm. Cuff, the cuff had the fish and chips, right? Maybe. Yeah. I've only ever been to the cuff twice. They have the tea dances there too, right? No, the tea dances are at Pony. No, I think it's the cuff. It's the one off of like. Well, in any case, it's, it's the the cuff is the one that's like the three different levels. With, like, the huge dance floor at the bottom and, like, the dive bar at the top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the cuff. And they yeah. have fish and chips, nice. which before I didn't eat fish, 
I was all fucking about, I'd be like, it is 1 a.m. and I'm going to eat the thing that's going to make me throw up later. <laughs> <laughs> Drink a bottle of tequila. This sounds like yes. a great idea. But there was nothing but gay porn, like, in all uh-huh. of the screens. And I was just like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, look at all of this amazing gay porn. And then yeah. that was all I watched. Yeah. I was like, why would I watch this, like, other stuff? Yeah. And, like, lesbian porn is a whole other thing. I actually, the other day, in the, in the shower, I was, like, thinking about all these things. And I was like, I've never run across lesbian porn made by lesbians for lesbians. I think it's pretty rare. Like, it seems like a lot of it is just, like, guys making fake lesbian porn because they don't want to watch another guy with the girl that they're looking at. Well, and it's, and fu- it's so boring. It's <laughs> funny when I, sh- like, when I shoot, not porn, like, porn adjacent so i shoot like naked lady content Mm -hmm. with photographers and a lot of the time they're male photographers and they're ones that i've worked with for a while so like my comfort of being naked around them is like you know at its highest level but it's always funny because invariably doing a two-girl shot there's always like oh and then you like scissor throw your head back and i'm like scissoring doesn't work for some people Is that okay? So, (laughs) random question that you don't have to answer. Yeah. Because I hear the whole like scissoring isn't a thing so often. I don't think. And as a a gay man, I'm just like, why wouldn't you? Well. Because like scissoring as a gay man, like men do it and it's fun. But then of course we have they're different. For some of us, there are different parts down there. But like. Gay men do scissoring. Yeah. Right. Especially if there's a double-headed dildo. Oh. Okay, well, that's a little but then different. you also have like ball on ball stuff happening, and like there's there's stuff going on down there. This interview has changed. It <laughs> it I love it. I love it. But like, I don't know. I hear girls say that all the time, and I'm just like, is that really like? Well, I mean, my experiences with scissoring have always been really strange because I'm so tall. That's fair. <laughs> so like, there's like for me, I'm like, I don't think it works for me because I'm tall, but mm. it doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't work for some people. Yeah. So I try not to yuck other people's yums. Yeah. But I also, whenever I am involved with a woman who like has interest in different things, because I want to yeah. ask like what they're into, um, if they say scissoring, I'm like, yeah, that's not gonna work. <laughs> because I've fully stopped a person like you know in the middle of mm-hmm. coitus, just being like, um, yeah, this isn't working for me. <laughs> like we gotta do something yeah. else. Yeah. But yeah, n- men scissoring. I didn't even know. Yeah. I mean, you can do, yeah, you can do all of that with, like, double-headed dildos and stuff. I don't know. But that I guess I'm just at this kind of point where I'm like, why not try everything? Well, yeah, I mean. Like, everyone can try everything, and it just feels like a lot of people that say that are people that just refuse to try it. I mean, I, I tried it. I've I'm not tried saying you. I'm just saying in general. Well, yeah. No, I think that, at least for me, my ethos is, like, um, does it sound like it could possibly be entertaining? Like, or you might get a good story out of it. Yep. You, might, you, you might as well just yeah. see what it's about because then at least, you know, because you could tumble into a whole world of, like, amazing joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you had no idea Or you idea could realize, eh, it's not really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, all of those, I think every, all of those experiences are super valid. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if you come to, like, sex and also to art with, like, an open-mindedness of, like, yeah, you might as well try it out. Yeah. See what's up. And, like, if you don't like it, you don't got to do it again. That's why I used to go to bathhouses a lot when I was younger was just because it was a safe place to try a bunch of things because mm-hmm. then there were people that were into things that you'd never even thought about yeah. that would just kind of be walking around and you'd try something new. See, and, and I like, was always jealous of bathhouse experiences for yeah, gay men. Yeah, that's fair. I have, like, know so many I can't know, even imagine. Not having that experience. Well, that, but also, like, a straight bathhouse sounds like the worst idea. Yeah, no, no. 
Like, yeah, no. There was Seattle used to have a lesbian bathhouse. That's what Lost Lake was the lesbian bathhouse. Oh, yeah, I've been to Lost Lake. Like, there's an entire basement that isn't used. Oh. Yeah. Because it was like a spa at the top, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, now. That's why it's such a comfortable place to hang out. (laughs) And now I know. See, I've learned two new things now. That's incredible. But yeah, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have that because like, I mean, I grew up fairly conservative, so yeah. like I didn't even, we didn't talk about sex. Like I never had the talk. Yeah. So everything I learned, I learned from porn and then that only takes you so far. Yeah, no, there's And then, then there's everything else I had period. to, yep, and then I had to learn everything else at the bathhouse. I would say a lot of men have that experience, not just gay men, but straight men. Yeah. They lose, they learn so many things from porn mm-hmm. and then depending on like my, my sexual education was really open and informative because yeah. my stepmom um she was the manager of the crypt okay i've heard of it for years so like when my mom came out her girlfriend who became my stepmom moved in okay and like a couple years after that started managing the crypt and didn't really stop until after my mom and and um and them had broken up so like for the decade of their relationship Mm -hmm. i had this person in my life that i could ask anything to yeah so like it was really clear my parents were like if you want to know what something is i still remember like coming home i think i must have been 11 or 12 and i was like what is a prince albert and they're like wow okay you know let's tell (laughs) you yeah and and uh deanna would bring home uh things like for inventory Mm -hmm. like you know things so i can if i wanted to make money i'd be like oh you know i really want ten dollars to do blah 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 and like okay i'll bring home things for you to count so it would be things that didn't really know how they worked yep so like cock rings yeah i just thought they were bracelets for a very long time perfect right i mean for some people it works <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then and then when i was older when i was finally you know 18 and i already knew all these things because i've mm-hmm. been asking i was so curious especially since during that period of time um my mom's partner started to transition into a man okay and so there was a whole bunch like i had this very incredible open access to be able to ask like so what is testosterone doing to you and like why are you such a dick right now and like (laughs) yeah Yeah. it was like living with a 14 year old boy all of a sudden yeah 45 year old was transitioning while he was in high school which was i don't i don't necessarily wish that experience on a lot of people because it was a lot especially like in the late 90s like it was just a lot yeah but i had a person that i could ask like so you know what is going on for you like you're going through puberty what is that like you Mm -hmm. know when you grew up as a woman and then all of a sudden you go through puberty again like again, what the fuck yeah. is that yeah you know and all of the different you know i learned about lesbianism just from being able to ask my mom about those things when i was mm-hmm. really young and being able to come out as bi when i was a pretty much like i knew around eight mm-hmm. that like something was up and then i like for like really understood that i was you know when i was yeah. like 11 12 13 like yeah, i yeah. get it and then i didn't act on it because yeah, yeah. the nineties yeah. <laughs> in Seattle. Yep. You know, so it was a different thing. But I had I had this experience of being able to know like what things were. And then when I was eighteen I started doing inventory in the shop. Oh wow. And that was like what Completely is this? Different. I was like, yeah. what are poppers? What is this video? Why does this look like a Christmas tree? Where does that go? Like, it was yeah. just like, <laughs> I, I still have those moments. So I hooked up with this guy who left poppers at my place the other, like, earlier this week. Yeah. And I, like, I have them sitting there, and I'm like, I've never tried them before. I don't exactly know what they're used for. I know it can be very dangerous. And I'm just like, 
like I'm a very cautious person, and I so I, I have to research things. So I think it's just gonna sit there, and I'm gonna stare at it until I like have time to like research everything. Yeah, but definitely. I'm still in that place, and I'm almost thirty. Yeah. So it would have been very yeah, <laughs> helpful to have that different upbringing. <laughs> definitely research, but you know, I think it's all. I mean, I'm a person that I would psychedelics were fun like you know so oh yeah i'm like try it all and also like you're a babe you're like 29 and almost 30 28 28 Mm -hmm. 29 in august you're in your saturn return wonderful it's exciting it'll be really hard last year yeah yeah it's a fun time of life 28 to 30 Huge, huge changes. Yeah. But have all the fun when you can, you know? But no, I was definitely the same in that, like, I started to see, like, something was different at, like, eight. Mm -hmm. Like, it it seems like a very, like, actually formative age where, like, things start to happen, but then it doesn't click until then. Mm -hmm. And then probably, like, high school was when I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think... That's what that means. When you're... You know, six, seven, eight, that's when, especially if you're, like, around family or an adu- or adults, that's when they start ribbing you about having crushes. Yeah. And so, fully. like, yeah, yeah. you start having these, like, mental, like, connections of, well, no, I don't like that person like that. Like, I just want to climb trees with them. Like, yeah, it's not yeah. like that. And, you know, and then you're like, no, but that person, I would really love to hold their hand, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so you start Well, I was a these. swimmer for years, so I was in locker room situations. I don't remember ever having any kind of like worry about it until mm-hmm. like high school yeah i don't know well high school is so brutal just I mean, in I was general yeah which is brutal for a different reason yeah <laughs> for being socialized yeah yeah i mean i was a private school kid so Come i on, private school you know montessori so like when i got, <laughs> when i got to high school i was like this is it was like being released into like a pack of hounds and not yeah. knowing how to behave because I had gone to a school that taught me that I could cr- basically manifest my own destiny around yeah. my education. So, you know, there were things that I had to learn and I need, you know, there were th- tasks I had to complete by the end of the week, but I could do them in my own goddamn time. Mm-hmm. And if I finished them early, I got to do the things I like to do. Yep. So I could go to the music room. I could play music if I wanted all day. If I was done yep. on a Thursday, Friday was my day. I could go play kickball with my friends if they were all done with their work. I could mm-hmm. go to the art room and paint all day. I could do all of these things yep. because I was responsible enough to finish my homework. Yeah, which is why that kind of schooling is such a good thing. Well, then it teaches you at a very well. Yeah, <laughs> if it's if it's guided well, it really teaches you how to like manage your time. And yeah, like, time management, but it doesn't like, teach you how to settle back into society. That's true. It does not. <laughs> Corporate world was never for me. No. And I really like you know when that's you're why I'm still to in job, retail. Yep. Yeah. I tried to get real, you know, real, quote unquote, real jobs, you know, like being hired by Safeway when I was a teenager. And they're like, you need to wear this uniform and you have to wear a bow tie. And I was like, a bow tie? What the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, and I had blue nails during my interview when they were like, well, you can only wear, you know, it was like pinks and reds and clears and nudes. Like I had to wear, quote unquote, girl colors. Yeah. And my hair couldn't be, you know, I, I still have, have trouble with that. Piercings, like, like all of this stuff. And I was like, this? Is fascism. Yeah. I've I I still like find my little ways out of those. Yeah. Like I work at a coffee shop and mm-hmm. we're required to wear like dark pants mm-hmm. that aren't sweatpants mm-hmm. and a blue or white button down shirt. So what did I do? I made a denim jumpsuit and I was like, is this good <laughs> enough? It has a collar. I and my manager so was like, I mean, I can't say it's not 
right? Ah, yeah, bend those rules, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like that was why that was one reason I left Sephora was because they were like, you have to wear this kind of lip, you have to wear this kind mm. of eye. We need you with this fragrance on, and I was like. A, I'm asthmatic, so I don't wear perfume. Right. B. But what if that perfume doesn't even smell good me, on you? Let me freaking <laughs> do whatever I want with my makeup. Thank you very much. <laughs> I always wondered about that because I always wanted. I always wondered why people had made certain mm-hmm. like makeup choices, like behind unless the you're unless you're in um, skincare, because mm-hmm. skincare you don't have to have makeup on. A lot of them do still, but you don't have to because it's all about like taking care of this. So you kind of want to show off that you have perfect skin because you have perfect skin. Now I just want to work in the, I mean, because moisturizer is very important the older you get. Yeah. And more expensive. It's like Especially on this side of the country. Free radicals. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, our air is so different here. It's so different. Did your skin change when you moved? So, so much. So much. Yeah. Like, I never had to do anything to my skin Mm -hmm. in Seattle. Never, ever. Mm -hmm. I never used lip balm. I never used moisturizer. Barely used primer when I did a full mm-hmm. face of makeup. Like, never did anything. Oh, yeah, now you're using And then I came here, and I'm like, I have to think about how much water I'm taking in, and I have to, like, super moisturize. I have to clean my face. I have to, like, it's intense. Yeah. Like, what is wrong? I mean. <laughs> what is wrong with the city? The city is dangerous for your body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous for your skin. It's for your hydration levels. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, it's so weird to me that it's such a specific, like, part of the country because mm-hmm. even i mean we're not that far off we're on the same parallel as seattle aren't yeah. we yeah it's like, just the water is different yeah apparently i mean they like did. the atlantic just sucks like <laughs> well i mean it's why people talk about like why they love the pizza here why they love the bagels here it's not the mm, same as other places interesting. because of the water and like yeah. there was actually a show that did they i don't like, like salmon mother. over here i hate salmon over here oh I yeah it. i i haven't had an <clears> i haven't had a fish experience in new york because i was like it seems so suspect to me, and it's just because it's such a huge thing in Seattle, and it's so fresh, and it's so good. Yeah. And then you come over here, and it doesn't quite feel like Yeah, no, yeah, salmon is definitely West Coast. Like, yeah. you can do oysters here. Like, and they charge so much for lox, and I think it's because it doesn't come from over here. Yeah. Like, they just ship it over. Yeah. Like, I was at a restaurant yesterday, and the it's bagel... It's like eight-day-old eight fish. Yeah. Well, and the bagel and lox was, like, ten bucks. And I was like, in Seattle, I used to go to Glow's, and it was like four bucks. Oh, Glow's. Yeah. Oh, I love Glow's. I worked at Goodwill, which was, we shared a parking lot. And so right. I used to just go there right after work every oh day. Oh, my God. I used to be so drunk at Glow's. Mm-hmm. All the time. Yeah. When we would close at Crescent at, uh, on Fridays, all of us would just, we'd call in our order to Glow's because they were open all night on mm-hmm. Friday. So we'd call in our order and be like, we're coming up from the Crescent. There are four of us. This is what we want. And we'd get up there, and it would be ready for us. And they'd, like... Give us discounts. We chat with them. I love how many like how many queers I know that have had such like in, formative either experiences or memories like at Glows or mm-hmm. um, was it Avanti's Pizza, <laughs> the place where you end the up place, where you don't you don't need to be there. It's ever. gone now. It's no, gone. I, I know, I know. It's a weed shop now. I heard. Yeah, it's a really nice weed shop now. Oh well. Yeah. Fancy. It's like the fancy Uncle Eggs. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, but the hill used to offer that, you know, it was the Crescent or yep. like the Saint or um, Charlie. I don't know what Charlie. Is. It was the diner that was up there. Okay. And then um, Broadway Girl, mm-hmm. obviously, like and Lost that was, Lake mm-hmm. and 
Molly Moon ice cream yeah. on the right But Molly Moon is, I mean, that's even after my like time of that's leaving, fair. really. I'm trying to remember, there's a there's a Mexican place right next to Cal Anderson, that end of Cal Anderson Park, n- on the same, the corner of the street with Lost Lake. Okay. And it's the, like, 4 a.m. Mexican place mm-hmm. where you go in and you're like, it's only good when you're, like, that tired and yeah. that drunk. Well, there used to be a Mexican restaurant that. at the top of uh, the Broadway, the center that the QFC is mm, in now. Yeah, yeah. There used to be a Mexican restaurant up there. There was never, it was never full. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was a front. Probably. It Just had, like Amante's was, yeah. Yeah, it had outdoor seating and, like, rarely was it ever packed, which is mm-hmm. crazy, especially in the summer yep. with gays. Like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. that's where you, you want to drink a margarita on the roof. Yeah. And it was always, like, at least when I was there, it was never completely full. I was like, what is, what is wrong this? here? What is this? <laughs> As you, like, suspectly sip your margarita, yeah. you're like, why aren't there more people here? But, <laughs> yeah. but the hill has changed so much now. So much. Even, so I was on the hill for three years. Mm-hmm. And those in those three years, it went from, like, kind of kooky to, like, corporate. completely corporate. Yeah. Like, the, the street I lived on, I lived on Summit Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it was because there are a couple like halfway home type situations mm-hmm. on that street, so the property the, prices yeah, are low. Went down. But that's like the only street that yeah. I could afford anywhere on the hill, and I was still paying twelve hundred a month for a studio, three hundred square foot studio. Yeah, <laughs> that's why when I moved to New York, I was like, it's also inexpensive. And now that I'm living here, I'm like, it's also expensive. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still remember when. Well, my first Pride Parade experience was when I was seven, and it was still on the hill. Mm-hmm. And now there are two Pride Parades. Yeah. Because the hill wanted it back, and there was drama. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, I mean, you know, I still remember, like, being a kid. And it was, I mean, it wasn't unsafe to be at a parade when you were a kid, but it was definitely, it was really different back yeah. then. It was... Now I won't go to them. Like, yeah. I won't go to the one in Seattle. It's just too big. It's too downtown. Oh, yeah. It's I, like, I don't go. No. Not the pr- big Pride Fest down yeah. at Seattle Center. Mm-mm. Just go There's to parties. Too many people. Yep. You know, go see your friends. Go to the park. Barbecue. Yeah. Like, wait until all the other gays show up. Yep. You know? Like, go to the club, like, later at the night. Later in the night. But don't. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's a... It, I find that, like, the, the experience of being queer in Seattle is very different I wish I could have experienced it back in the, like the late '90s, early 2000s when I was really needing it, because like that was the time my family we were a group health family, mm-hmm. so like we were often on the hill because of group health up okay. at the top of the hill. Yeah, and we would like drive through, like drive past Cal Anderson. My mom would be like, "Don't look out of the windows. This is where the this is where the weird people are." <laughs> like, and you're like, careful. "But I want to see I'm the like, weird." But people. the weird people, <laughs> those are the best people. Oh. Anyway, yeah, it was so good to talk to you. Oh, it was good to talk to you too. Like finally get to actually like sit down and yeah. Now that we know, know that we're neighbors, like yeah, you can come over and pet my dogs and we can yes, watch please. Movies. Oh, I love having puppy time. I can show you my burlesque film. Can you please? Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, for absolutely sure. Do I it. love sharing them. Yes, and I even have. I want to um, learn more. So I have much a couple more. of uh, Miss Nude Worlds that from the nineties. Oh 
Yeah, they're they're a trip. Okay, yeah. we're gonna have we're gonna have some video parties. You got it, babe. <laughs> um, where where are you online for people to find you? Yeah, and so and then I'll put links in the description as yeah, well. Yeah, so my website is goldenglamazon.com, and that's for my burlesque stuff. If you're interested in my naked stuff, it's gloriousglamazon.com. I know I'm fancy like that. Yeah. Um, Twitter, Sydney Devereaux. My Instagram is also Golden Glamazon. Um, and yeah, and then obviously Facebook, but like find me on Instagram or Twitter. And, and I'm upcoming... way more fun on Twitter than yeah. anywhere else, I gotta say. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, the upcoming shows? Yeah, so the. Hmm, I'll be in Miami at the end of this weekend. Um, okay. I'll be in Hebden Bridge the week after that. And then in the end of May, I'll be in Vienna and Berlin. Ooh. Yeah, so right now everything is very international and yeah. I don't have anything in New York when is right the, now. When is the next Sin on Heels going to be? Oh, is there going to be a next one? There will be a next yeah. one for sure. Um, I usually take the summer off from producing Perfect. because people leave town, yep. but hopefully by the time people are checking my website again, I'll have something mm -hmm. up. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And you can, I'll put all my stuff in there and you guys already know that stuff anyway. So thank you so much, Sydney. You're welcome. Thank and we'll you. see you all later. Bye. Bye. Yeah, fuck. 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 Thank you for listening to Yeah, Fuck with Vivian Gabor. Tune in next week, same place, same time. Yeah,